This is Hope FM. Well, I love interviewing people, and we all have stories to tell. In fact, they say that in practically every one of us, there is a book. Now, in this lovely lady I'm about to interview in this hour of the programme, certainly, I don't know whether she has uh, written a book. In fact, uh, Pat, have you ever thought about writing a book? Um, I'm just thinking about it now, actually. Because <laughs> I put, I put so, um, yeah, perhaps that's a, a word from the Lord. I, put, I should be writing a book. <laughs> put the thought in your head. Well, they do say they do say that in all of us, you know, that there is a book. Now, I'm going to be talking to Pat about her most interesting life training as uh, as a teacher, obviously about coming to faith, and then what eventually took her to the the mission field, and uh, in which she would normally still be on, actually, but of course uh, not because of a certain thing called COVID. But we'll get to. That eventually, but Pat, let's start at the very beginning. And uh, your sort of uh, early years. What, what what were they like? Were you were you brought up in a Christian environment? Um, not really. No, I mean I'm local, so I was born here in Christchurch, um, prisoned in um, St George's. That was our local church, and um, yeah, I had a loving family. And a neighbour of mine was going to Sunday school, and I was six, and she invited me along, and I went started going to Sunday school when I was six years old. And I attended the Hillmount Sunday School in South Ca- St. Catherine's Hill, which was part of the Twynham uh, Chapel um, uh, outreach in, in that place. So that's where my journey of faith started when I was very small. And I have very happy memories of learning and lots of songs and um, learning coming to faith. And I've still got my Scripture Union Bible notes that I've got written when I'm six or seven, writing prayers and accepting Jesus as my saviour at a very young age. So um, I have very fond memories of that kind of time of my life, uh, growing up, finding faith. Isn't it very interesting how those things, you know, I mean, when I was a boy, my Sunday school had 500 young people in it, you know, it was amazing. Of course, sadly, it was a thing of the, of, uh, of yesteryear, you know. But, but of course, the things that you learn in those formative years stay with you your whole life, don't they? It's funny, isn't it, how you can remember some choruses that you sang that year ago, but you can't remember what you came upstairs to get, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I can sing the choruses 304 and 305, in my heart there sings a melody, a song that somebody, uh, Doug Duffin, taught us um, in Swahili, you know, and thinking, well, why can I remember those things? <laughs> and the other things, you know, that are just as poignant, we just forget, don't we? But there are many memories, and every time I walk up to St. Catherine's Hill, I haven't been up at this visit, but I go up there, past the house where we used to meet and it was not like 500 like you say but it was a very small very family kind of orientated and it was it was a really important some of those people i still see in twynham and some of those people you know their children and their grandchildren i'm you know still in contact with so again it's that family isn't it that you you come to faith and you immediately have that family around you and I give thanks for that, that I've still got some of those around me now, you know. <laughs> now, you said that you actually give your heart to, to the Lord when you were still quite young. What, what, what was it that sort of made you want to, uh, you know, ask, ask the Lord to come into your, your life? I don't know, really. I can't remember. I mean, I know I've got it there because I've, I've seen it. I've got a little suitcase where I've got my first Bible and all my little Sunday school stamp things and my, and I say my, Bible, my scripture union notes and all the things that I did going up through teens, um, house parties, groups and things like that, um, youth camps and such. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I don't remember. I mean, I, don't, I see it there, so it must have happened, but I yeah. don't remember. I just 
knowing that it was mm. it was just a lovely place to be accepted. We went and had fun. We learned things. We learned stories. We learned songs, and we sung beautiful songs that taught us about Jesus. You know, his love for us, and and it, I think it was just that it, it was a lovely surrounding on the middle of on top of St Catherine's Hill. You know, I mean, what is there not to you know Jesus stories of Jesus. A caring people that really showed interest in teaching us and being together and it was just a lovely experience those you know and then I went off to, when I was like I started going to girls club at Twynham on Barrack Road you know and then yeah just being connected with them ever since so mm. again it's just it's family and belonging isn't it and mm -hmm. just feeling that there's something there that really gives an anchor to your life, really. And how did your how did your 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 family react? I mean, were they were they supportive, even though they weren't necessarily going to church themselves? Um, my father. <laughs> one time when I was very involved, I was singing in the youth uh, a, a group, you know, youth group, and we were going off touring, and we'd go and sing at different churches. And my father did say once, you know, well, take your bed to the church, or seem to be living there. And I thought <laughs> that's quite funny. As I now live in a church, which I kind of think very fondly. <laughs> <laughs> what he said many years ago. No, but I think um, in those days, I used to cycle across the common and go to, to church and we'd go off for weekends. And I just think it was, for me, it was just a lovely time of, and uh, yeah, just mm. but you know, I, having that other, other family. But my family were supportive, you know, and they still are, yeah. you know. But I, I think that that's true for many of us, you know. I mean, like you, I you know, I didn't have any dramatic conversion and stuff like that. But many of us have this, I, mean, I guess that going to church and Sunday school and having a social life which is very much linked, you know, with church, it's almost like a natural extension, isn't it? And, uh, and Because our lives become intertwined, you know, with um, with all the things that we're doing and all the things, of course, uh, that we're learning. So no, no teenage rebellion for you then, Pat? Um, no, no. I think I think my teenage years were quite troublesome in certain ways, you know, <laughs> um, issues and stuff. But no, no, I kept on through, you know, church. I went away to university and then joined a church there. Um, I mean, I had a, a, one a problem I had, you know, when my father died when I was 22, and that was a real blow to me. And that was a real, I struggled for several years, really. Um, accepting that kind of blow to your life when you think everything's going well, you know. So that, for me, was a big, a big learning curve, which I think for many of us, losing a loved one, especially unexpected or through difficult circumstances, like we're facing now, you know, I think lots of people. And having been through that, I realise, and I think I've just kind of grown to that, you know, God has become my Heavenly Father. And for me, that has been kind of like the, the, the role that he's taken on in my life to be that stable that, like we said, that rock, you know, um, not having had my father around for like for over 40 years, you know, it's, 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 um, it can be quite, it's tough. It, it is tough. But I suppose that those memories, even with your form with your father, I guess he, you carry those with you always, don't you, right? And uh, so even though quite a wee bit of water on the bridge since, since, since your father died, I guess, mm -hmm. do you, do your, does your thoughts turn to him often? I think so sometimes especially I was been going down to the beach um, regularly and I see a lot of people fishing and my dad was a great fisherman he used to we used to go down on the beach and sit there with his rod out you know and we'd go up and get fishing so I I, I have a very you know, great memory of that and I sometimes think oh isn't it a shame he's around you know like with my my other family the nephew growing up with his children thinking well it would have been great if dad would have been around to do this and do that you know but I think in a in a, in a good place I remember it you know it's 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 not Sad. It's just remembering the memories and remembering remembering the memories of the past and trying to relive them, you know, in, in a different context, which I think since I've been back here and having time here in the UK that I haven't had a, for a long time, 
um, walking on the beach and going to places that I used to visit when I was a child, those memories and, and the things that I learned as a child growing up around here have come to be more kind of um, present with me at the moment. So I think that for me is, mm. is an important part, you know, of remembering and then going on um, with those memories um, consolidated and remembering and not just kind of like lamenting but remembering and giving thanks i think that for me has been a process especially over this last year i think you're listening to community now on hope fm with keith jones bookshop serving the community for over 50 years visit keithjones.co.uk and pat blanchard is my very special uh, guest today we heard about those early years of going to sunday school and and pat sharing of course how those things that she learned have really remained with her uh, uh, even now that's true to say pat isn't it oh yeah very much so yeah now you off to university uh, you went did you did you pretty much know what you wanted to do when you by the time you got to university because you you're obviously a bit of arty crafty aren't you yeah yeah i mean i wanted to teach i don't and i had applied to do different courses and i ended up going to um bath to do a training course with based on uh, art and textiles and textile design um, and so, yeah, I did a four-year course in Bath and attended a local church there. And, um, yeah, my mum had always been arty and crafty. We'd, she'd knitted. I mean, I don't think I had, we bought dresses. My mum always made our clothes. She always knitted everything, always complained at the ever beginning of the school year that she had to knit three very dark, um, dark blue cardigans for us to go to Twynham School, you know, me and my two sisters. Mm. But, no, it was all, mum was always knitting and... In two of our houses, she had extensions built just to put the sewing machine outside in the sewing machine. So I was brought up with sewing machines and knitting and, you know, recycling and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, then you went to your first teaching job, which was in Southall. In, 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 yeah, uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. What was it like then? Was it challenging? <laughs> it was really challenging. I mean, it was difficult. I was so, you know, it was a time I was just kind of getting my father's death. I'd finished university and I couldn't get a job. I actually went on to... Uh, unemployment benefits I didn't I finished university I couldn't get a job and um, it was a really difficult time and I just found a, uh, an advert for a job up in London in Southall and I just <laughs> no but that's where they kill people in race riots and, oh, no, 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 because it, that was just after the big problems in Southall you know with the you know the, the they had the riots and stuff didn't they the riots yeah mm. I think Blair, was it Blair Peach that got killed and um, yes I just thought oh dear but I need a job you know and it was so it, God was amazing I found some very dear friends of mine that are always like my spirit other family you know here mm. and it was just amazing that just at that time one of the family members who was a vicar had just taken up a parish in Southall in the Anglican church and it was just God's timing I got the job I went to live with them I worked with them in their church and for me, that was a great training ground, working up there between, um, in a very you know, multi-ethnic um, uh, environment. I remember the first day trying to t- read my register in my class. It was really difficult because it was a lot of West Indian names, a lot of Indian Asian names. And it was really difficult for somebody coming down from here, from Christchurch, you know. But it was, <laughs> a, for me, it was a training ground in multicultural, um, different faiths, different ways of doing things, the whole... Um, opening up my horizon and I did actually go to India visiting somebody from my local church in Southall and again that was just an amazing visit um, to go to India and um, yeah that's where things started to develop as well 
So, yeah, I mean, that, that whole thing of going to Southall was just a, a pivotal thing for me, really, and providing somebody that I knew there um, as that base, a Christian base for me, and, I, you know, they're still my great friends uh, to this day, that couple I stayed with. Now, off you went to India for, was that your first international experience? Yeah, it's really apart from just going on a holiday to Malta, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't count, you know. Pleasant, no, no, no. Ple- no, no, no it was really, and it was amazing, eye-opener. It was, it was, and I loved it, really. The whole, I did, um, because I was still working for Ealing Borough there, and I went and did some um, training as well. I went to, did block printing, weaving, and I went and I was resourced artifacts. And then when I went back to Ealing after my trip, I actually taught these crafts to people because it, they were... T- traditional you know like asian crafts that and we were treating them in secondary school so i went and i was able to learn what i learned in india could bring back and i did in-service training for other teachers i did a weaving workshop i did a, a, a screen printing workshop so again that my travel overseas linked into again training people both teachers and pupils and i had a weaving loom and i did i did weaving in my classroom and things so that was an amazing time of incorporating all that travel and different um, skills into teaching others and learning new things myself. Well, then, of course, people will have heard of tradecraft. Probably a lot of people will have bought tradecraft in order to support the work of, of Tear Fund uh, and the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund, uh, that for, for yeah. those of you that, that, that don't know. And uh, so was that, was that a, a, a groundbreaking experience for you as well, then, working, working for Tear Fund in Tearcraft? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, actually, because it was when I went on that first trip to India... I'd looked up some contacts. I supported Tearcraft um, and Tear Fund through different things at church. And so I got in touch with a lady who was a craft consultant in India. And just in one of the places I happened to be visiting, she was there working with the craftspeople, teaching them embroidery, batik. And I spent some really interesting days with her. And she said to me, oh, you know, there's a job like mine going in South America. And I thought, oh, that might be interesting. And that's just what happened. I just met her. I just got in touch with Tear Fund. Is there any projects I could visit while I'm over in India? I bumped into her. And that's how I got, came back from my first trip to India and um, got interviewed. And um, I think within about six months, I was heading over to South America <laughs> to Guatemala to live and work. And so, you know, having been in an Asian continent, I very much felt called to perhaps go to Asia or somewhere because of the contact in Southall. But no, God sent me over to the other side of the world to be in South America. And it was, uh, again, another coincidence that, you know, just God put the things in motion and it was just so clear that it was to be, you know. And there you were using those 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 gifts, of course, that, you know, that, that you're trained for way, way back in university. And obviously you'd mm-hmm. had the teaching experience and qualification as well. Three and a half years after, later, uh, coming back from Guatemala, you decided then to go into theological training. Why, why that decision, Pat? Um, I came back and I really loved my time overseas. And I, I realised I'd got a lot of practical skills to offer people. But I realised that, you know, it's not just about teaching people skills, giving them employment for their work that they can produce. That's what I was doing with Tearcraft. I was designing things, helping people export, helping people find local markets. But often you came across situations, and though I'd been a Christian for a long time, and I knew I had a personal faith, I just felt that I hadn't got, I don't know, I just, I needed to be able to explain my own faith in a way that was 
um, and I could teach others. Because, you know, I think the holistic kind of um, mission, you know, you can teach somebody practical skills, but if you don't teach them about faith, you know, where is their eternal home? So I came back and... Um, and I just, I sat, I was sitting with a friend in, uh, in she was working in Shirley Chorley Wood at that time. I said, oh, you know, I just, she said, what do you want to do? Because I was in between jobs and didn't know quite what I was doing. I said, oh, well, I've always wanted to go to Bible college. She said, well, come on, let's go. <laughs> in that moment, we got in her car Took and we just and went over to LBC. <laughs> Drove over to, to um, Northwood. And, um, yeah, within about two months, I'd started on my course to do my degree in theology, which was, you know, kind of a turn. And I still kept on living. I was living in Hayes at that time. So I still, I commuted in every day to to um, Northwood, driving up through Ryslip and stuff. And, um, yeah, and I thought I'd just stay a year and go back on the mission field. Um, but no, I stayed for three years. And um, it was an amazing time. Um, it, 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 you know... Yeah. Very important training, of course. So then, then you 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 hook up with Sam's the South American Mission Society, yes. and and you you went to the home of that little bear, you know, um, we see on the television, you know, uh, who likes you know uh, eating the honey and all of that, and gets into all sorts of trouble. Marmalade, marmalade. Mar- oh yes, you're quite right. It was marmalade. I'm thinking <laughs> it was it was poo like the honey. Yeah, that was uh, right. The poo and the poo and the marmalade. No, poo and the honey and Paddington and the marmalade. Paddington, right. indeed. So off to so, so off to Peru you go. My goodness gracious me, uh, <laughs> you are a, a woman of challenge, up for challenge. <laughs> yeah. So that must. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll pick up on on your experience because I know you're still very much leading a church in in Peru, and we'll we'll pick up on that. I, I'll, I we'll have we'll play some more music and then. I go down and talk to uh, the lovely folk in Keith Jones and then we'll come back and talk about the adventures in Peru, which are, of course, continuing to this very day. They do indeed. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest is Pat Blanchard. And you may remember that she shared with us how she went off to uh, Bible College and then she linked up with the... Uh, South American Missionary Society and then ended up, I, I said in the land of the bear, of course I'm referring to Paddington, uh, Peru and uh, well that must have been a wonderful uh, experience. Now, I know I, I know you haven't had the opportunity of meeting um, Paddington personally but I guess that may be still on the horizon mightn't it Pat? <laughs> yeah I think probably I'd, I might go and find his great aunt if she's still around or any other cousins that might be lingering around in the deepest darkest Peru. <laughs> well of course when when you made the trip to Peru, there you were, having done the three years theological training. So paint a little bit, a bit picture of, of what you went to in Peru. Yeah, so I was accepted onto missionary service and been in Peru like nearly 21 years. So I went out um, to work in the Anglican diocese and um, was working pastorally in a church in the shanty town in Peru, which again was a challenging situation, but teaching women, teaching children, and um, also working with the diocese in the um, uh, social development, working with um, projects to give people employment, to give education, medical support. So, again, I was working holistically in the diocese, doing some fundraising, 
um, accompanying people in living in the shanty towns to get a better life for themselves, not only through knowing Jesus, um, but also having a good quality of life and being able to do new things with new skills that I could teach them. So, I mean, obviously a completely different culture. Were they, were they very, very open to you being able to share your, your faith, as well as, of course, all those wonderful skills that you had in craft and so on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, my, my whole craft and um, practical experiences have been amazingly useful, and I use a lot of creativity in teaching, because often the literacy level or um, understanding is very difficult, so I use a lot of creativity, reflective stuff in teaching people, especially to the children, a lot of crafts, and um, yeah, just teaching people through doing things. And again, just being community, as we said all earlier, you know, you're living in very, um, in the shanty town, living very much in um, very um, densely populated areas. And, you know, your street is your community. Your little neighborhood is really a community, which I don't think we've have got so much here, but in the UK, but um, perhaps during lockdown, there has been more so that you are talking to your neighbors more, but very much. Um, the communities in Peru are very poor communities, living hand-to-mouth, um, but very keen to learn and be together and put, get new experiences. So, um, yeah, it was, it's a joy. It's been a thing that's... I've done so many different things while I've been there in 21 years, really, so it's been an amazing experience to share what God's taught me to share with others. Well, in 20 fun, 21 years, you, you must be very much part of the community there. Have you learned yeah, the, learned yeah. the language and so on? Yeah, yeah, so we speak Spanish, so I speak fluent Spanish, and so um, I try not, sometimes the word that comes in, my mind is Spanish, so sometimes I, I hear myself speaking and I think, oh, that's a Spanish word I popped in, but I think I'm doing quite well. It's sticking to English, because I've been in, here in England so, um, so long now, but um, since last October. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, so everything's in Spanish, speaking Spanish, Every every day, all the time, yeah. So I speak, preach in Spanish, lead everything in Spanish. So yeah. Now, of course, you're leading a church. Now, did you plant that church? Yeah, yeah. So I went out to Peru and started working in another community um, up the top of the hills. And then, um, what I've been involved in mainly the last fifteen years is developing a work amongst the disabled. Um, again, it was just something that God put on our heart. Um, somebody was working with me they went and found somebody a young lad with cerebral palsy who was just tied into a chair he had no wheelchair his parents couldn't take him out so we tried to find other agencies that could find people wheelchairs so from about 2002 2003 we were finding wheelchairs for people getting to know people getting to know family with families with disabilities and by the time 2004 2005 that area We've got quite a big community of mums with children and people with disabilities in the community. And because it was very difficult for them to get up to where I was ministering, we rented a garage from somebody and started a church further down the hill that was more accessible to people. So in 2008, we started the Shalom Church, um, mainly uh, mums with their children with disabilities or people in the, in the neighbourhood who we got into contact with because they needed a wheelchair or a walker or they were in a, a vulnerable situation. So for a time I was leading two churches, um, but then as the project for the children with disabilities started going, um, growing, um, yeah, so since about 2014 I've just been focusing on the Shalom ministry at the church and the Centre for Disabilities that we've built and run. Now did you come over for a bit of a furlough then last October? Yeah, so I, I was. We had lockdown in March last year in Peru, and it was very strict lockdown. 
um, the pandemic there was was very different. I mean, it's I think wherever you are, it's different. It's been difficult, interesting for me to live here in the pandemic, which is difficult and challenging in other ways. But in Peru, it was very difficult. Um, firstly, people live hand to mouth. If they don't, there's no great furlough systems. There's no great incentives, you know. Mm. So if they don't go out to work, they don't feed their family. So the people had to go out, even though they weren't supposed to, just to try and buy things, sell things do something, cleaning, washing, whatever they could do to make money for their family. The other thing is that people live, as I said earlier, people live in, it's a very close community, not just in buildings, you know, side to side. There's no nice walkways, there's no front gardens. It's all, you know, the shanty town is concrete, every square meter, and in no families. Uh, so in my big building, four stories, there's two of us that live there. And the family next door, there's like four families that live there. So it may be up to 16 people. So they couldn't self-isolate. They couldn't keep socially distanced. And the problem with the Spanish culture is everybody greets you with a hug and a kiss. <laughs> and that has been something that people find incredibly difficult not to do. Mind you, some people so, find it difficult not to do it in this country, never mind in Peru. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always find people here, you know, I come back and I start hugging people. I think, oh, no, I'm not in Peru. You know, I'm, <laughs> I just the handshake or the, you know, the nod, you know. But um, so... It, conditions are really difficult you know and also now they've got their second wave and people are at home but they can't get any oxygen there's no more icu beds the the the, the health system in peru is very tiered there's like the basic then there's a paid system and then there's a luxury if you can afford to pay um and, and not for love nor money can you find a bed in in intensive care and um you know it's very difficult and it is chat the health system in peru is challenged on a day-to-day basis with a third of the country, you know, a third of the country living in the capital city, Lima has been really badly hit in the COVID. You know, the percentages, you know, the majority of the people that have died have either been in Lima or they've been up in a couple of the other major cities. Yeah. So it's been a really difficult time in the pandemic. The high population centres. Well, of course, as we as we reflected yesterday on the on the, the day of reflection. Yeah, yeah the hundred and twenty five thousand, of course, that have lost their lives here. But, but I mean, to be in in a country like Peru, I guess that it 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 changes your thinking, doesn't it, Pat? And there's no vaccine rollout there. I mean, one of the things that CMS has said to me, you know, you can't go back unless you've got your vaccine. So I had my first vaccine uh, about a month ago. So I'm due to have my second one in May and then hopefully head back to Peru end of May, beginning to June, you know. But um, but there's no vaccine rollout, really, you know, and there's so much corruption and there's just upcoming presidential elections in many countries in South America. And it's a really volatile time, I think, with the pandemic, with the political instability, you know, the whole economic problems, it's going to be a really difficult route out of this. Um, you know, I listen to the things here, but thinking about South America, it's a whole different different situation. You know, mm-hmm. people's lives are far more precarious. And so it's initiatives that we can do to, you know, just keep people ticking over until they can get the vaccine rollout, you know. And it's just been really difficult, really challenging. Those last months from, like, March until October... Um, it was a really difficult time, you know, and we also lost people from my church, not through COVID. They had other lying, underlying health conditions and they just weren't able to find a hospital bed. And so they just died at home, you know, one from an intestinal problem and the other from a birth gallbladder. And they died because they couldn't get into hospital to get the treatment they needed. And that was a really sad and challenging time for my community, you know. So I planned a trip back here, two trips back here last year in May and I couldn't come. And I thought, oh, things are settled down in October, both there and here. And I came, and of course, 
I hadn't finished my 14-day isolation. We went into lockdown, you know, on the whatever it was of November. And so it was a very difficult, different kind of time here in the UK. And I should be visiting churches. Um, I should be visiting family. But I, <laughs> it's, you know, it's been a really difficult, challenging time really being back. But using it to do other things as well here, you know, and still connecting with Peru through our, our virtual things and WhatsApp. I mean, I was still leading the church until a couple of weeks ago, every day on morning prayer and every Sunday on our morning service. So it was it was here and there and everywhere, you know. So praise, praise the Lord for the wonders of Zoom and technology. You yeah, know. yeah. Although my people haven't really got any good technology, so we do everything on WhatsApp. I mean, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, but they, we've kept going, you know, every, since, since over a year, now every day they've been connecting on um, praying together and reading the you know devotions and stuff every morning you know and that is a thing we didn't do before the pandemic so i think i've seen in my community which is a very fragile community in peru people that are living hand to mouth their faith has really strengthened over this last year you know and and they've seen god's hands i mean thankfully i got some funding to give food parcels and to you know help people we had one person in my community who's in a wheelchair who was on her crutches and she fell over broke her arm somebody else who's a father of two fell had an accident and had broke his leg and so we've had, you know it's just all difficult things anyway have made been far difficult when you're living with disabilities and in a situation where you can't you know get all the support you need so it's been great to see how we've been able to rally around and really build more of a community um, in the church in Shalom, and just a couple of weeks ago, um, they started a soup kitchen in the in Shalom. So some of the women uh, are cooking every day, and up to forty, fifty people come from the neighbourhood and the church to receive a lunch, and they pay a, a minimum amount which goes into the kitty to then make that sustainable. So that's been a brilliant way of reaching out with God's love to those people that are in great need. And and, the, and again, it's just great they're doing something together because we are community, and that's what we need to to carry on. You know. Jesus calls us in to be a family, to support one another. And I think we've seen that. I've seen that in the community in Peru, yeah. um, very much so, um, through the 21 years, but also just in the last year, in an amazing way of God's provision and God's faithfulness to people. Well, Pat, thank you so much for joining me. I know that, I know that you could you could do another few hours with me on the radio and we still wouldn't have covered it all and I know you said you can talk the hind lens of a lima but the lima is a llama a llama yes and a llama and a llama is still standing as you say but it's been it's been a real joy and uh, obviously you've given us a, a lot that we can pray for in, in support mm-hmm. of, of you and and the, and the fantastic work that you're doing in very difficult circumstances in Peru 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com